ladies and gentlemen, as part of our summer series of interviews with various people from the football world, I'm extremely pleased uh, to be joined by Michael Cox, well known throughout the internet as Zonal Marking. But now, Michael, we have to use your real name because you're not just an internet person anymore. You're now like a proper grown-up author. Yeah, existing in the real world and not just on Twitter. Yeah, it's nice, nice to have that upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, tell us a bit about the the book, the mixer, which is just come out pretty recently yeah um it's, it's basically a history of the premier league um obviously it's the 25th anniversary this summer it seemed like a, a good occasion for someone to write a book about the premier league there had never really been a particularly comprehensive account written before um obviously it focuses a little bit on tactics but it's um you know it's anecdotal there's stories there's uh you know fun stuff it's not too technical there's no diagrams and it's uh it's you know a story rather than a, a kind of technical handbook so i'm confident that it's it's quite a good read fantastic um you're of course very well known for your tactical stuff um and i'm really interested in whether so when you went and kind of looked back to do the book even if the bent was a bit more uh, a bit more generalist and not quite so specifically tactical. Did you did you discover anything about the tactical evolution of the Premier League that you weren't expecting? Yeah, I mean a few things really. I mean, you know, the book starts with a look at the um, the change to the back pass rule, and um, I'd kind of always been aware that was quite a you know a, a um, important thing in the evolution of football, but it hadn't really occurred to me that it, the back pass came in just before the start of the Premier League. And so, you know, when everyone says football didn't start in 1992, of course it didn't. But modern football, in a sense, did start in 1992 and nothing to do with the formation of the Premier League. There was this rule that, you know, uh, took effect throughout the world and really changed the way that teams play, particularly in terms of, you know, having to build up from the back rather than just hitting long balls from the goalkeeper because the goalkeeper um, couldn't just pick up, pick up the ball all the time. Um, so, yeah, there were a few interesting things going back to the 90s. I mean, just looking at how primitive things were back then was, was quite interesting. It's only, you know, 20 years ago since the mid-90s, and this was a time when basically teams often didn't really have proper training grounds. They were kind of just using university training grounds or um, sometimes renting it from the local council kind of thing and and their preparation for matches really was was quite shambolic really they, they didn't look at the opposition in any kind of depth um they kind of just had one worth playing and played that way each week so tactics then were very different to tactics now and and that you know charting that evolution was was i guess the the, the main job really so what are the key inflection points what are the what are the key moments that the that shaped it from what it was then to what it is now uh, that's a good question i mean in the early 90s i think the first real tactician as you know appropriate for this conversation the first real tactician was sir alex ferguson or he wasn't sir then but alex ferguson um <laughs> and you know the um it's quite interesting i went through his his kind of diaries that he published in the 90s and just his kind of the extent of he's in awe of the European greats, you know, Ajax, Milan, Barcelona, Juventus, and is travelling abroad each week to go and watch these teams play. And he's realising before anyone else in the Premier League that, um, you know, European teams are ahead of the English teams tactically. And the fact that United were in the European Cup pretty much every season at a time when obviously England only had uh, one entrant into the European Cup at that point just means that he's directly learning lessons of Barcelona and Milan and the real greats. And I think, you know, that forced him to to kind of change how United played and to be more reactive. And I think one thing that he did very much in, in response to that was he was very keen to promote 
what I'd call players who could do a job. So, you know, it's someone like Brian McClare, he goes on about in the early days in terms of, uh, you know, if he told him to play central midfield or right midfield or centre forward, or if he told him to shut down a certain player, he could do that. And this was a time when British players weren't really geared towards that kind of way of playing. They were more about going out and expressing themselves and getting involved in the battle. And I think Ferguson was... Throughout the nineties, in a tactical sense, was was always really a, st- a step ahead of the the other managers like Keegan and Dalglish, who pretty much you know told their players to play four four two and and played the same way every week. This is really it's really interesting to hear you say that because I mean I don't I think because because Ferguson had so many strengths as a manager, people people maybe don't think of him as a tactician, but when he turned to his mind to it, he really could he really could use tactics to his advantage, couldn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a really key part of, um, you know, United's evolution throughout, you know, say from 93, the first time in the European Cup, to, to obviously winning it in 99. Just the kind of level of sophistication of United just improved massively. And I think part of that was, you know, United brought in different kind of player. I mean, if you look at the 93-94 title winners, who I think really were were probably the best in that era in terms of playing 4-4-2 and getting the ball forward quickly and breaking down the flanks. Um, between that and 99, obviously, they brought in Beckham on the right and Skulls in midfield, who were kind of more cultured players, better in possession, and they could keep, keep the ball for longer periods. But also, yeah, Ferguson was, was just experimenting tactically. And, you know, going through that 99 run is really interesting because obviously in the final was a kind of a classic Manchester United win where they kind of, won it in almost illogical circumstances. But the way that they got past Juventus and the way that they got past Inter um, was just really interesting in a tactical sense. You know, Ferguson with two different game plans, home and away, making key decisions about personnel. I think he left Paul Scholes out both games in order to play Nicky Butt, who was more defensive. Um, you know, particularly doing a job on, on Zidane. I think it's Baggio as well um, in the Inter game. And yeah, just just looking at you know how much he admired those great European teams makes you realise that United really were just a cut above in, in the Premier League at that point. And obviously Wenger came in in '96 and improved a lot of things um, in a kind of physiological sense. And I think was certainly at first was was better than focusing on recruiting players from abroad. But in a tactical sense, Wenger was never really a great tactician. And, and really, it was Ferguson who was leading the way during that period. And so uh, we're still really talking about 4-4-2, right? That's the, even by 99, there are nuances to it, but it's essentially, that's that's essentially what he's playing. When does when does it start to be the case that the other formations are considered uh, as normal as 4-4-2? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's, I guess it's the start of the 21st century, really. I mean... Obviously, in the 90s, United had kind of played a more cultured way. I think Eric Cantona is probably the most revolutionary player in the Premier League in terms of coming in and playing between the lines. And he's turned that into pretty much a 4-4-1-1. But I think the interesting thing is that Ferguson, you know, in the 90s, it tended to be that tactical shifts occurred from players coming in and changing their, their style of play. So when Cantona came in, he changed United in terms of going to 4-4-1-1. But when it got to the 21st century, Ferguson almost looked at things the other way. So he looked at the formation first and then the players. And then obviously you had that, you know, that summer of um, bringing in both Ferron because he was kind of a third top-class central midfielder and bringing in Ruben Nusteroy, who was a player who could play up front. And Ferguson didn't really think that, you know, Andy Cole could play up front alone and Cole and York uh, kind of faded very quickly because, you know, they weren't built for that system. So I guess it was the start of the 21st century where, where Ferguson started moving towards a one-striker system, albeit with mixed success. I mean, United 
often moved, moved back to 4-4-2 during, um, during Van Nistelrooy's first season. I think Solskjaer was coming into the side and doing very well. Um, and I'd say that the period with Van Nistelrooy wasn't particularly successful at United um, because essentially they were just too dependent on him and everything was trying to get the ball to Van Nistelrooy in goal-scoring positions. And obviously there was a kind of a second evolution much later during the Ronaldo era, uh, era Sorry, when um, they often played one up front. But it was more about collective interplay and basically just goals coming from a, a wider variety of sources rather than everything based around Van Nistelrooy. But of the top managers, it, it really was Ferguson who was the first to move towards a one-striker system. So we've got Ferguson adapting the 4-4-2 to, to be a match for the Continental game. Then we've got him adapting again to a one-striker system, which now, you know, now it's kind of revolutionary and you don't play one striker on their own up front, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, that's a kind of it's that's a it's a really uh, it's a really trailblazing approach, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know the 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 thing about Ferguson is, I mean, there's certain other revolutionaries that have come to the game and have, have really obviously changed things. So Wenger in '96 with the physiological side, I think the arrival of Mourinho and Benitez at the same time in 2004 made England uh, or made English football a lot more reactive, a lot more defensive. And I think even now you can say Conte coming over and playing three. 4-3, kind of completely dominated the league last year. And so Ferguson, because he wasn't coming from abroad, was never such a stark revolutionary. But in kind of slightly more subtle ways, I think he was always just remaining one step ahead. And again, you know, taking his cue from, from Barcelona and Milan rather than necessarily what was going on elsewhere in English football. So, yeah, I mean, just the extent that Ferguson managed to evolve again and again and again, season after season, in probably the period of English football that saw more sweeping changes than ever before. It was just remarkable. And, you know, there's various there's various aspects to that. I think the fact he always brought in different assistant managers, sometimes by choice, sometimes because he was forced to, that always meant that, you know, United kept evolving. But, uh, yeah, the way he built, you know, maybe four different sides, really, when you think about, you know, it stems from, from 92 to... 2013, pretty much 20 years, they just had to, had to keep evolving. And uh, I think you almost kind of took it for granted at the time that United was so successful. But then in the last few years, when you know no one's actually retained the league since United did in 2009, it just show, you know goes to show how incredible it was that United were just so successful for such a long period of time under one manager. Yeah, absolutely. Were there standout tactical performances from Ferguson along the way? Are there games that you kind of looked at and thought, wow, that's that's really, he's doing something different here than he would normally do across the course of the season? Yeah, I mean, there's a very early one, actually. Um, in the first Premier League season, so 92-93, and it's a game I must admit I wasn't massively aware of, but it's United going away to Norwich in um, in the April, I think, when it's it's pretty much Norwich, Villa and Manchester United for the title. And, and Norwich had been flying at this point. You know, they um, I think by Christmas they were like eight points clear and they were playing this really impressive, kind of quite progressive passing football, really, which wasn't that common in the Premier League at the time. And kind of the neutrals' favourite because obviously they're the outsiders compared to Villa and United who have been there or thereabouts in recent seasons. And that was quite an interesting game because Ferguson was out without uh, Mark Hughes, who was the main centre forward at the time. And everyone thought that, you know, in response to being without Hughes, he played Brian McClare up front um, and bring Brian Robson into midfield and just basically be a bit more solid. But instead he played, uh, he played Ryan Giggs up front. He played McClare in midfield and essentially United played 
with three wingers that had Giggs and had Sharpnick and Chelskis. And just the first 20 minutes of that match is kind of the most terrifying display of counter-attacking football that you'll ever see. And it's just so quick. You know, the the way that United go from end to end within 10 seconds for their three goals, Cantona's pulling the strings, Giggs and Kanchelskis in particular are fantastic, and Paul Lintz as well in midfield is just everywhere. And it was just this incredible clash between a possession side and a really quick counter-attacking side. And I think that pretty much set the tone for, you know, how United would play in the upcoming seasons. You know, I think I think Cantona was was quoted as saying it was the perfect performance, it was the perfect game. And just that kind of model of having a really quick striker, even though Giggs wasn't a striker, but having a really quick player up front, someone in the hole in Canton on two really speedy wingers, you know, set the tone for how United would play. But I think probably set the tone for how lots of other teams in the Premier League would play. You know, I think you can look at the Arsenal team under Wenger and see, you know, two really quick wingers, Burkamp in the Canton mould, always a really quick striker, whether it was you know, Ian Wright or Anelka or Henri. And, uh, you know, you wonder what might have happened had things gone the other way. If Norwich had won that game and had gone on to win the title with this really kind of elegant, patient, possession-based team, then maybe throughout the 90s, a lot more teams would have played that way. But in the end, it took probably about 15 years for possession football to really come into the fore. And it was all, all about really, you know, pace and counter-attack and, and being very direct, which, uh, yeah, I think kind of stems back to that United performance. That is... That is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? That's that's a heck of a sliding doors moment. Um, so the the over the kind of the next decade, it's the same tactical template, and then the beginning of the two thousands. You know, you mentioned that the the kind of slightly barren days under Van Nistelrooy. There was a point when United fans were chanting four four two from the stadium quite regularly, but that never really happened again, did it? No, probably not in that sense. I mean, there was a period where. I guess it was more four four one one with with Rooney and Hernandez, and then I guess a similar kind of thing with him and Berbatov sometimes, and and later with Van Persie. But I think Rooney was always, you know, he was a more withdrawn striker than you would you would say for a four four or two. I mean, I guess there's a slight argument that Dwight York dropped off into deeper positions in '99, but I think Ferguson was was quite clear. He always wanted, as he put it, two points of attack, so someone between the lines and someone kind of on the shoulder. And uh, yeah, it's pretty rare for United to play a, you know, a classic four four two in in later days. Um, and yeah, I think that was very crucial to their progress in Europe during the late two thousand and ten. Certainly, uh, sorry, the late two thousands. Certainly, it's interesting that you sort of talk about four four one one because when the crowd did start chanting four four two, it really annoyed Ferguson, and he and he said, "We've never played four four two. I mean, it was slightly disingenuous, but he he said we always played with one deeper and one further forward. Um, but Dwight York scored an awful lot of goals from the six-yard box in 1999. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and just his relationship with um, with Andy Cole just felt like you know they were roughly playing the same role. Cole was more of a poacher, I suppose, and York was better in deeper positions. But yeah, it wasn't like a Cantona and Cole, where Cantona was clearly the deeper player. It wasn't like a Burkamp and Henri, where Burkamp was clearly the playmaker. I, I think York was probably a, a second striker rather than a number 10. So I tend to agree with you there. I, I always think of that 99 team as pretty much a 4-4-2 with just really good partnerships all over the pitch. And obviously York and Cole was one of them. Then so to flash forward to the next time that United won the European Cup, uh, you, you briefly touched on the kind of Ronaldo era. I mean, would would you say that that's like essentially Fergie's 4-3-3 period? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think United did 
They were quite unpredictable at that point. I think that's probably the point where, particularly Ferguson, but other managers as well, kind of did give their, their attackers lots of freedom to kind of rotate. And so you've got this system where essentially Ronaldo can go where he wants. You know, if, if he senses that he's going to be good up against the left back or the right side of the centre back, he kind of goes there. And the other players, whether it's Giggs or Rooney or Park or Nani, kind of just have to fill in wherever possible. Or Tevez as well, of course, was very good at that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very flexible and very fluid but yeah I think 4-3-3 was was kind of the dominant shape for United at that time but they always retained an ability to go 4-4-2 as well um or 4-4-1-1 you know the the Champions League final in 2008 obviously Ronaldo was playing wide left up against SCN because of SCN's lack of height and that proved perfect for the opening goal but in that game you know it was it was pretty much 4-4-2 because um Hargreaves started on the right flank uh, um, which is obviously a little bit unusual for him. And, and you had Rooney and Ronaldo up front. And then he shifted at half time. I think when Chelsea had kind of got back into the game just before half time with that Lampard goal, and Hargreaves came into his more natural position in the centre. I think it was Rooney going right and Tevez staying up front. Might have been the other way around. But yeah, they just had the flexibility and the dynamism to, to kind of play both systems simultaneously. And I think that was probably the case for the next few seasons, really. I mean, even when, um, even when Ronaldo left, there was that period, 2009-10, when I thought United were actually a really good team and, and pretty unlucky not to win the league ahead of Chelsea that year. Um, and obviously Valencia came in, Nani stepped up. And there was still that ability to play either system, whether it's Berbatov and Rooney up front, or increasingly in that season with Rooney as, as the number nine. And, you know, he scored a load of headed goals that season and kind of became a proper striker. So, yeah, I think... It probably wasn't the case so much later on when Van Persie came into the team. Um, that was more of a kind of 4-4-1-1. But that period kind of either side of, um, well, I guess between when United won it in 2008 and when they got to the final in 2011, there was um, just great flexibility in that team. It, the, you mentioned the Van Persie period. This is a, it's a fascinating season. Obviously, it's one that United fans have a huge amount of affection for, but it's basically two seasons in the same season because up until Christmas, it's just conceding a million goals every game and scoring a million and one. And it's like, what's happened? He's flashed back to, like, he knows it's his last season, so he wants to relive 1998 or whatever. Um and then, and then in the second half of the season, when it becomes clear they're going to win the league, he just shuts everything down and they win every game 1-0, basically. Yeah, it was a very strange season. Um, yeah, just a weird one. I mean, I don't really know what was happening with United in terms of like the central midfield zone at that point was always a bit of a mess. And to be honest, I didn't think that was a great United team by any stretch of the imagination. I think probably one of the weaker ones that's won the Premier League. Um, but obviously they had... Van Persie was absolutely flying up front and his relationship with Rooney was great, which I guess was epitomised by that volley Van Persie scored in the in the title clinching goal against Aston Villa. But I think it felt like United kind of eased off by that point. I mean, I think that um, that side would struggle, I think, against the even the 2011 title winners and certainly against the you know 2008-2009 side. And it, they just didn't really have the control in central midfield. And I think that's what was so impressive about, particularly the 2008 team. They had Skulls and they had Carrick and they had Hargreaves. And uh, I think that's a level of control in central midfield, particularly when they played three in there, that no United team before or, or since has really offered. It was really weird watching Ferguson not do anything about the midfield year after year after year. I, I I could never understand why it was happening. It felt like he'd developed a blind spot. He could still win the league anyway, but 
Yeah, I don't know. It was it was very strange. Yeah, well, there was that famous game. Was it? I think it was just after Christmas one year, maybe 2010, when it was. Was it like Park and Rafael da Silva? Rafael. Yeah, in in central midfield, which is just. I mean, I know they had a couple of players out, and I think that was the game when was it Rooney was was kind of being suspended because he'd been caught out drinking or something like that. But it was just yeah. how have United gone, you know, to that to that level considering the central midfield options they had a few years earlier. But yeah, it's weird. I mean, Ferguson have been so keen to make sure United dominated the midfield during the preceding years. So I can't really work out what happened with them. Um, you know, just. Like you say, not really signing anyone in that position, and I guess also kind of promoting the wrong people in, in overlooking Pogba and you know probably too much faith in uh, cleverly and and a couple of other players. Yeah, that was the Pogba game. That was the game when he was he looked at it and went right. I'm off. I've had enough for this. If you're not going to yeah. play me ahead of Park and Raphael, um, maybe he was just trying to. Ferguson was like he'd been a trailblazer for so long. He was trying to play trailblaze a new world where midfield was no longer important. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. I mean, I remember it being a very entertaining game. Was it a four-three defeat to to Steve Keane's Blackburn? I think it was, wasn't it? I mean, I remember it being a bonkers game, but uh, yeah, probably not a title-winning recipe. No, the thing I remember about it is just that United lost, and also Ferguson gave up on Raphael in midfield at half-time. I can't remember who he brought on in his stead, but it made slightly more sense. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I can't have Raphael down as a central midfielder, <laughs> much as I do like him. I was I'm kind of sad it didn't work out for him in the end because. Uh, I really like Raphael, but uh, yeah, anyway. Question of the post Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United. Um, the Yeah, because it was, it was Louis van Gaal who turned his back on the all that was good and pure and true and sold Raphael. Um, <laughs> um, Moises... Moise's kind of attempt to, I don't know, almost try and force 4-4-2 back into vogue at United did not go well at all. Um, it, it seemed like there was very little tactical sophistication there. Was he a manager who had been more tactically astute at Everton previously? or was And so he was just struggling to adapt to the new pressures at United? Or is this a more general weakness in his management? Yeah, I think it's a difficult question. I mean... I think I, I think the important thing really is I'm not sure that tactically that was you know I'm not sure Moise's biggest problem was was a tactical sense I think he was kind of just overwhelmed by the scale of of the job and the pressures of managing United but I guess the tactics feeds into it in the sense that at Everton he'd become very good at just being very reactive and concentrating very hard on essentially you know shutting down the opposition and nullifying their strengths but Everton always had quite a big record away at the big clubs and you know Moyes was kind of good at setting out a side not to get beaten rather than setting out a side to win and obviously when you go to Manchester United the expectations are raised and I think that was a very similar thing with what happened with um, Roy Hodgson at Liverpool where basically it's just a step up to a really massive club who basically have to be more proactive and, and have to one they have to put on a show to Two, they have to win games because that's the level they're at. And three, they're playing against teams who will come to Old Trafford in, in Moyes' sense or Anfield and Hodgson's sense and sit back. And you have to have the kind of attacking combination play to, to break them down. I don't think United ever had that. Um, so, yeah, it was just a really weird kind of period. I mean, obviously, I mean, Moyes didn't change too much from the previous season. There were very few outgoings. I think it was only Fellaini who came in. So it was pretty much the same team. I don't think that they played in a radically different way, but it was just a kind of different mentality they played with. And I think, um, 
you know, sadly, in terms of the kind of traditional old school leadership qualities, Moyes just just didn't have it really. Yeah, absolutely. Then uh, you mentioned uh, teams being difficult to break down and coming to defend. This turned out to be the uh, amazingly effective antidote to literally anything that Louis van Gaal ever tried to do. <laughs> just all you had to yeah. do was try and stop them and you would likely be successful. Um, I, from a kind of from a slightly football nerd perspective, um, from my point of view, it was a real shame. I mean, obviously, as a United fan, I wanted it to work out, but I just wanted it to work out because I thought it would be fascinating to see if a kind of Van Hull possession style side could could make something exciting happen in the Premier League because he'd made some brilliant teams. Uh, but the United team he created was a stodgy, horrible mess. Yeah, it was, it was a weird period. And I kind of agree with you. I think it was a bit of a shame. I mean, when you look at what he did with particularly that Ajax side in 95 is you know, one of the best teams in the last 20, 25 years. Um, yeah, it was a weird one with Van Hal. I kind of, I thought he, he took a long time to work out precisely what he was trying to do. I mean, he was messing around with the three at the back for quite a long time when it really felt like it wasn't working. He also had, you know, an incredible injury crisis at the back, which meant he had to chop and change. And that was problematic. There's a couple of players I don't think he massively knew what to do with, particularly Di Maria, who's just a brilliant footballer and I think actually quite a, a Manchester United footballer in, in many ways, but that didn't quite work out. And then, I mean, by the second season, United were actually really well organised without the ball. I think I'm right in saying that they had the best defensive record or maybe the second best defensive record that season. Um, you know, the spacing between the players, the just the structure of the team was great. But they just didn't seem to have the attacking combination play. And I think to a certain extent, that was because United didn't really have top-class individuals. And I think that, you know, the attacking section of the side is, is the one place where I think you definitely need really top-class players. Whereas, you know, defending, you can kind of have a very good coach who who kind of irons out the, the weaknesses and, and just makes the team solid. And so it kind of felt like this, the, the second season should have been the first season, if that makes sense. If the second season yeah. had been the first season, then that would have been a good kind of building block to move forward from. But it kind of been two years of, of relatively little progress, I think, which was, um, you know, obviously a little bit underwhelming. But it was, it was cool that, you know, he kind of got swept under the carpet, but he went out with winning an FA Cup, which, <laughs> which is, you know, traditionally is considered a, a pretty good thing. And it's amazing that, you know, obviously the last, what is it, four years um, since Ferguson left, you know, United is widely considered they've been below par, but they've won two FA Cups, they've won a League Cup. Even the Community Shield just kind of keeps things ticking over and, and keeps players in the right mentality. So, yeah, they're still winning still winning trophies that, you know, other teams at the top of the league, we're, you know, can't, can't manage to get their hands on. Yeah, it was just one FA Cup and then the Europa League, but it was, uh, it was lovely winning the FA Cup because it's been a long time because at some point Ferguson decided that wasn't really important to him anymore. Um, and made a load of compromises, didn't he, along the way. Um, but it was lovely to Van Gaal won it. It was just a shame that the story that he was getting sacked the next day leaked literally as he was walking up the stairs to collect the trophy. It was uh, Yeah, I, that, that was a shame, I think. And it, it kind of, in a wider sense, I think it kind of feeds into a bit of a problem with, with football coverage at the moment, or certainly I feel like the last 10 years, when it's always looking towards kind of transfers and in this in this respect kind of manager situation rather than what's actually happening on the pitch and you know the fact that the, the following day's headlines were you know Van Hal to be sacked when United have just won the cup um yeah I, I thought it was a real shame and um yeah just just kind of for me uh, for me summarizes what's what's 
problematic about football coverage. I, I like reading about what happens on the pitch rather than kind of what's going to happen in three months' time. But uh, I guess that's the way of the world. It is. And the, the other thing that it is important to say at this point is it is I've never been as bored. I mean, I've almost literally never been as bored in any setting in my life as I was watching United for much of that season. It was absolutely dire um, in a way that kind of, in a way that was genuinely sort of soul-sucking and quite sad because you, not and not just in a United sense, but just any football to kind of, it, it felt so, just going felt redundant because you kind of knew nothing good would happen. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I just really wasn't, yes, wasn't looking forward to watching United that season. And that's, that was quite sad, like you say, because, I mean, United, you know, under Ferguson, yeah, I think United had, had spells where they, they didn't play good football, but it was always entertaining. You know, they could play absolutely rubbish for 70 minutes and still launch the most miraculous comeback to win 2-1 or whatever. Um, but yeah, there was just none of that under Van Hal, no excitement, no spark. And um, it's a shame that that's kind of how, He'll be remembered certainly in this country because, um, yeah, I mean his his Ajax side and his his uh, Bayern Munich side were just so entertaining. Yeah, that's the the thing. Like he's not someone that you associate with boring football, really. Um, yeah, yeah, that's no, a shame. It felt like he got older. That's that's what really it, in a way that Ferguson never really seemed to. Um, it felt like he got yeah. older and a little more cautious. Um, and that brings us to. A man who has been pretty influential in the history of Premier League tactics, I guess. Um, how much difference did Mourinho make when he arrived the first time around? Yeah, massive difference. I mean, um, as I say, I think, you know, him and Benitez coming at the same time was was very crucial. Obviously, Benitez won the European Cup first season. Um, but Mourinho's, I mean, that first Chelsea season was absolutely remarkable. You know, looking back, they got 95 points, which is still a record. They only conceded 15 goals all season and kept 25 clean sheets, which is just... <laughs> I mean, you just can't get your head around that now. Um, but yeah, he was he was probably the first manager to, to really play, um, I guess, a counter-attacking 4-3-3. You know, they, they had Makaleli in, uh, in the Makaleli role, the, the role de- you know, defined by him. Um, and yeah, just put real big emphasis upon counter-attacking, really big emphasis upon, the you know, the concept of the transition. So when the team loses the ball or when the team uh, wins possession, they have to spring forward into a different shape immediately and that was something that wasn't really spoken about in in English football beforehand and yeah it just kind of outmaneuvered teams in in the in the midfield zone really by putting an extra player in there and it was noticeable really a little bit like with Conte last season just how many managers changed their system almost overnight and they didn't really do it with the kind of nuances that Mourinho did so Chelsea had you know Damien Duff and um and uh Ian Robin who were kind of two classic wingers um whereas a lot of teams tried to do the same kind of thing with like classic you know wide midfielders in a four so you know teams were basically just Mm. taking off a striker and putting on um you know an extra center midfielder and made things very defensive but obviously his his overall impact Mourinho's overall impact was was staggering really and and what have you made of his sort of development as a manager since because he's definitely not the same as he was then is he no I mean I think he's changed a lot in terms of his character as much as his kind of tactics you know you go back to the early days at Chelsea and you know he was always a wind-up merchant he was always getting himself into squabbles and stuff but he was also very charming and was just you know quite likable it was it was quite weird you know Chelsea didn't really have a real superstar player in in the manner of 
you know, when, when Mourinho had Ronaldo at Real Madrid or now he's got Pogba, you know, they, they were kind of a, quite an efficient bunch, really. Um, but Mourinho was almost a superstar and he was quite popular at the time, I think, in English football. He was kind of a breath of, uh, a breath of fresh air, you know, people who enjoyed the Ferguson-Wenger rivalry, but that was kind of, you know, seven or eight years in now. And then suddenly we had this, you know, young guy, never been a player, one European Cup with a, you know, a Porto team that had started as real outsiders. And it was just exciting to have him here. And I think now he he kind of gives off a kind of a demeanor of almost negativity and, and just boredom with, with his kind of general approach, which I think is a bit of a shame because, you know, he, he won the league in, in 2015. With two years after that, he's, he's clearly not finished at the highest level. Um, and obviously he won a couple of trophies this season as well. So, yeah, I, I think he has changed a lot. I, I, I think he was to a certain extent, damaged by what happened at Real Madrid in terms of the, the dressing room backlash in his third season. And the same thing, um, you know, with Chelsea, um, again, in his third season there, in his second spell. But uh, I think United are the kind of right club for him. I think he's quite a good fit tactically. Um, and yeah, I, I think there needs to be kind of quite obvious progress in the in the opening periods of, um, of next month. And I think United will need to challenge for the title for for you guys to remain on board with him. But uh, I do think he's quite a good fit for United. And what what did you make of him last season, sort of in terms of what he put on the pitch? Uh, I thought he made... It, it was There were a lot of interesting small decisions along the way. Uh, and, and I guess a player who is quite tactically complicated, uh, you mentioned Pogba. I, I would imagine that for a manager, having Pogba in the side is obviously a massive asset, but it also it gives you a lot of decisions to make about how you use him, doesn't it? Yeah, he's, he's a kind of awkward player, Pogba. I mean, I'm a massive fan, and I think you know he received quite a lot of criticism last season from the the wider media, which I think in general is, is the kind of thing that isn't shared by United fans because, you know, I think the more you watch him, the more you realise he's a really good player. But he is he's yeah. slightly different. You know, he's he's not a kind of player that plays deep in a, a two-man midfield because I think he likes pushing forward too much. Obviously, he can do that in certain circumstances. I think he's better kind of as a three when he's got, you know, licence to go forward, almost in that kind of old Frank Lampard mould of breaking forward from the left of centre. Um, I mean, it, it seems like Mourinho did take a while to work out precisely how to use him. Maybe he's the kind of player that won't necessarily always have a particularly defined role and it will just change depending upon the nature of the game. I mean, personally, I think that Pogba needs a lot of freedom to go forward. He can spread play nicely in deep positions, but I think he's a kind of... He's got the dynamism and I think there's some goal-scoring potential in there that can mean he basically can play almost behind the forward in a kind of Deli Alley mould almost, you know, that kind of a midfielder, but almost uh, almost a second striker. Um, I'd like to see him really as high up the pitch as possible because I think that's where he will provide the difference. And, um, you know, obviously United need goals from, from um, you know, the performance last season. They need an improvement there. And I think Pogba could be that kind of player who can step up and become a regular goal scorer. Brilliant. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Uh, where can the people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Zonal Marking. Um, or indeed, uh, yeah, the, the mixer is out now on Amazon and in your local bookshop. So, yeah, do check that out. Brilliant. Thanks, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Paul.